Hey everyone, I'm Stephanie, and I believe that all readers should read children's literature, especially adults. So that's what we do on the Kid Lit Love podcast. We celebrate all things children's literature, picture books, early readers, middle grade, and young adult novels too. Whether you're an adult reading to your inner child or connecting the young readers in your lives with fantastic books, you've come to the right place. Each week, we'll talk to a different children's literature author and discuss their books, their hopes and dreams for readers, their writing process, and much, much more. So grab a notebook to build your TBR and let's get to today's episode of Kid Lit Love. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Kid Lit Love podcast. I'm Stephanie, and I'm here today with middle grade author Taryn Suters. She has written five middle grade books that we could talk about today, although we're just going to talk about her most recent one. We've got Holy Cow, Fractions Are Fun, How to Almost Ruin Your Summer, Dead Possums Are Fair Game, Coop Knows the Scoop, and the title we're going to discuss today, The Mystery of the Radcliffe Riddle. And that book comes with a little warning. Be careful what you dig for. <laughs> I love all of the titles. They definitely hook readers in. They hooked me in, and I'm excited to talk with Taryn today. So Taryn, welcome to the Kid Lit Love podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I am so happy to be here. I love, love, love doing podcast interviews and just visiting with readers, and it's just a really special thing to do. Yeah. I pinch myself often and think, I get to do this now. <laughs> <laughs> every week with a new author and it is wonderful. So I did a tiny bit of digging on your website because I love learning about an author's backstory. How did they come to be a writer? How did they come to the children's literature space? And as an educator, I loved that I saw on your website that you wanted to be anything but a math teacher when you grew up. And that yeah. is exactly what you became. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so true. Yeah, I was terrible, absolutely terrible at math um, until I was a junior in high school. I mean, so I was practically out of high school before that light bulb went on in my head on, oh, this is how math is supposed to, you know, work. And it was, I ended up having a lot of fun those last two years of high school. I took some extra math classes because the teacher, um, there was one teacher in particular who just made math fun and understandable for me. So I was trying to almost make up for lost time, try to figure out, okay, how much of this math do I really enjoy? Do I really understand? And is this something that I could do as a career? And, and as I ended up, I, I liked it, but I'm like, I'm, I'm not ready to actually be a math teacher. I, I loved other topics and um, being a math teacher was the last on the list. And then as Lord works in mysterious ways, all those other things just kind of uh, didn't pan out. And so I ended up teaching algebra and pre-algebra and loved it. It was so much fun. And and ultimately your first book was on math content, right? Fractions. It was, yeah. Holy Cow Fractions Are Fun is, um, it's a it's a picture book on, on fractions. Fractions were something I remember struggling with like crazy uh, in elementary school, I hated fractions. And my my parents tried to make that fun for me by, oh, let's bake chocolate chip cookies. You have to use fractions when you're baking cookies. And and it didn't really work. Like I did not, 
fall in love with fractions in fourth grade because we baked cookies, but they tried. But so yeah, when I was at home, you know, when we had kids, I became a stay-at-home mom. And one of the things I was trying to do was what can I do from home that uses my my training, my education, uh, that might even bring in a little bit of income. And so I said, well, I'm trained as a math teacher. I've always enjoyed reading. I've always enjoyed writing. Let me see if I could do a picture book on fractions. And so um, uh, that's how Holy Cow came about. I was actually, I was actually trying to write a poem about, I'm not very good at poetry. I'm just going to tell you that right now. I'm actually quite terrible at poetry. Um, but I was trying to write a story for my kids about um, like a retelling of the, of the story of Moses. And uh, the phrase, holy cow, just kept popping into my head instead. And so we set Moses aside and we worked on fractions instead and, and it's worked out. And so we've just kept going with that. <laughs> Another way the Lord works in mysterious ways. Right? Exactly right. Yeah. He's like, you know what? Let's let's focus on math at the moment. <laughs> so how did you go from holy cow, a picture book about fractions, to middle grade novels? So after I okay, so holy cow was kind of a fluke because I probably wrote that book in about 45 minutes, which wow. isn't normal from what I've been told. Um now in in my defense instead of it being a picture, like a storybook where there's a plot and my character has a problem that they have to solve, they do have problems that they're solving, but they're all fraction related. And it's more of a concept book, I would say. And so I think concept books might be a little easier to, to mm -hmm. write than maybe a story. Um, but when that was done, I'm like, well, I'm going to just do another picture book. Well, that turned out to be really, really hard. I kept sounding too old. My um, in an author's world, we like we have a term called your voice, and so the voice of my character, the voice of my story, wasn't sounding like it was a picture book. It was sounding like it was something older. And people kept saying, "You need to set the picture books aside, and you should probably start thinking about writing for older kids." And so I did. And my my very first kids novel was Dead Possums Are Fair Game. And that it was still math related. Uh, but then I didn't want to be a one trick pony. And so then I started diving into other um, other middle grade books that were not math related. And I've had fun and I've been kind of camping out in the mystery section uh, for the last couple of years. Yeah. Which leads us to the book, your newest book that we're going to talk about today, The Mystery of the Radcliffe Riddle. I'm an adult reader who reads a lot of children's literature. And so I love a lot of books. But reading this book meant I didn't do the dishes and <laughs> I ignored some other things. I may have had this book down low on a Zoom meeting that I didn't really have to participate in. I love it. Oh my gosh, I love it. <laughs> because I needed to find out. I was so hooked. And I actually went down a, a rabbit hole as a result of reading this book too um, about samplers something yes. I had no idea I wanted to know about that I needed to know about was a thing so I I was hooked from page one to the end and not only did I get information about samplers you know but I got information about um you know the war of Jenkins ear things I didn't know about things I didn't know I wanted to know about <laughs> I loved this book and oh, I read so it fun. quickly as, as a result, we won't tell anybody about that whole Zoom meeting thing, but <laughs> could you give uh, listeners, readers, an overview of, of this book and why why you went into the, the mystery realm? 
Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So the premise of this book is we have our main character and his name is Grady Judd and he is 13 and he's living in a small town of Gifton, Georgia. Um, that's, that's a made up place. So you're not going to find it on a map, but uh, it is in South in my head. And in the story, it is in Southeast Georgia, um, kind of near the North Florida border. And he and his dad, he lives with his dad, are really down on their luck. Um, his mom was killed in a car accident a couple years prior, so it's just the two of them. But before she passed, she was in a coma, and that really drained them financially. And so they are now at the point where um, they've moved into a smaller home, but even then they're making, uh, it's very difficult for them to make ends meet, and they're about to lose their home. And he finds out that he has inherited a sampler from Eudora Clinch, who was the old lady in town. She was a bit wacky, um, kind of odd. She was called Kooky Clinch. That's what everyone called her. And um, he finds out he inherits this sampler. And a sampler is a, is a piece of material that has been stitched with different patterns or proverbs or pictures of some kind. And um, he's like, what am I supposed to do with this? But along with that sampler is a note that's saying it actually has a, a, a riddle hidden in it and it will lead to treasure if he can just basically solve this riddle. And his dad dismisses it like, you know what? She was called kooky clench for a reason. This, this is not legit. But Grady's thinking, what do I have to lose? We are already losing everything. And so he begins to try to solve the riddle that is stitched into the sampler. And before long, there is a death in town. And um, so it's apparent he is not the only one after this sampler. And there are, there are some tragedies that could possibly follow if he does not find this uh, treasure soon. Yeah. And, and so much of that is so engrossing to the reader. First, the sampler, right? I had not, I know what samplers are. I've seen them. I had no idea that they could be such sources of magic, really, like, you yeah, know, of, of riddles, of treasure, of, of everything. It, it made me go down a Google rabbit hole. I was, you know, texting family members, do we have any of these? Does anybody have any of these in their boxes or in their basements? Neat. It was such a fun thread throughout yes. the book because it was new to me. I imagine it may be a new concept for many students who are yeah. reading the book as well, who might get really interested in this new concept, this new thing that could just kind of open their world a little bit. I mean, it's just an art form that, and it really is an art form because some of these samplers are absolutely yeah gorgeous and the and the young ladies who sewed them I mean they're they're starting to stitch as soon as they can hold a needle so you know age four or five there are some of the most exquisite samplers that are sewn by nine-year-olds that are still in existence today um when I go and do school visits I will show the kids part of my presentation is I give them the history of samplers and I show them some that have been sewn over the the centuries and they're just amazing works of art. And it is interesting that certain symbols, certain colors, they can all have a double meaning if if that's what the, the artist intended. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's what I loved because it within the context of the story that was being driven, you know, by this sampler initially, I was learning so much historical fact as well about the practice about the samplers about the meanings and then really about the time period too that the sampler was connected to you just wove it together so beautifully that you were lost in the story but then also you know having google right there to be like wait 
I didn't, I didn't know about this. I want to learn more about it. I love how you balanced. The oh, thank you. Yeah. I think that's the teacher in me. I, I yeah. always want my readers to walk away having learned something, um, whether it's how to tell military time or whether it's, yeah. you know, hey, the war of Jenkins ear, what was that? And what on earth is a sampler? And are they still in existence? All that stuff. Yes. Yeah. And so that, I mean, that was one driving force, I think, in the book for me. But there were also, you know, there's, when I was reading, there really were two things sitting on my shoulder. One was this mystery that I needed to figure out. I was like, I need to solve this along with these main characters who I loved, just kind of took the challenge on for themselves, right? Mm -hmm. they, they were smart cookies, you know, really yeah. digging in and using their library and, and banding together. But on the other side, the book really is just filled with such big themes. There's loss, there's family, there's found family, there's friendship. It even touches upon um, Alzheimer's and dementia for Cookie. There were so many themes inside that I think offer so many different entry points for yeah. readers, right? Yeah. So they may look at the title and think, ooh, a mystery, a riddle. That's the kind of book that's for me. And then you get in there and you realize that there is just so much more. As you were writing it, you know, I'm curious, did the mystery and the riddle kind of drive your thinking and the other elements came together or did you go into it knowing, okay, this is kind of what I want the book to be about? That is such a great question. I am definitely a plot person first and foremost. So um, I will usually write the plot <laughs> and then I'll send the story to my agent and she'll be like, what's your theme? Where's your theme? Where's the heart? I'm like, there is no heart. It's plot. And she's like, you have to have heart. And I was like, darn it. I was really hoping you weren't going to say that. So she, and she's a fantastic agent. She, she will edit my stuff and she'll tell me like, you need to have something in here that, that shows character growth. It can't just be like a James Bond novel where it's just action, action, action. And so for me, when I go to write a story, I'm usually, and even like with what I'm working on now, I'm like, let me just get the plot down and then I will go back in. And it's easier for me to do it that way. Get the plot, get the mystery, get who did it and all that stuff done. And then go back in and add, okay, what are the relationships going on? What are the problems they're running into? What, you know, what, how can my character grow? That sort of thing. So um, the themes come later, um, Although with Radcliffe, there is a constant theme of hope that I have throughout the story. And that is because he kind of fixates on this one poem by Emily Dickinson, which was his mom's favorite poem. And it's it's the poem, Hope is a Thing with Feathers. And I've always, I'm again, I'm a lousy poet. Um, I can read poetry and sometimes understand it, but not often. That's a poem I can read and understand. And so that's one of the reasons why I really like that poem. Yeah. And so Grady, Grady really likes this poem because it was his mom's favorite. And he keeps e equating moments in his life throughout this particular book um, about where his bird is at the moment. You know, what kind of bird does he have? He really wants that happy. He thinks it's a canary. I'm assuming it's a canary too. I don't know. He has this picture of what this bird was that Emily Dickinson writes about. And he's convinced that he has a mockingbird because life is just not going well. He's convinced his dad has a vulture. Um, sometimes his birds molted, you know, he's just having a tough time. But to me, that was an easy, that was a natural theme to write into the story. Um, 
but uh, the the other his relationship with his dad that's something that um, I definitely my critique group helped me with because I love happy endings and I just want people to be happy all the time and my my critique group's like you need to have some conflict <laughs> and I was like oh darn it um, so they helped me with with things like that because I just want people to be happy so I don't usually write sad sad things or angst or anything like that, but they do need to be in there for a story to, to have, um, you want to have that fulfillment, that sense of satisfaction at the end that your character grew. Yeah. Well, and the readers coming to this book are going to have those kinds of realities and appreciate seeing them, you know, and reading about them and feeling seen in them. I really loved seeing how the relationship with, with him and his dad changed over time right without spoilers you know because everything <laughs> but I it's did reading it reading it as an adult right yeah. and a parent I I could really appreciate that that viewpoint from it and speaking of that because I am reading it as an adult I always love um pulling different quotes out of the books that I've read I've got a quote notebook that's just for them quotes that I I tend to write about and there's two that I I highlighted I said well no there's more than that, but there's two I want to talk about at the moment because I felt like, you know, it's a middle grade book for middle grade readers, but it's also a book for anyone, um, mm -hmm. especially adults. And the first one that really resonated with me that I ended up writing about was this. The way we choose to live each day is something we must purposefully decide with each and every sunrise. I mean, there's a mic drop life lesson right there. And that's that's what happened in this in this book. Every day he made a choice of what to do, whether it was, and this is where I get tricky with, with not wanting spoilers, but whether it was something to do with the sampler or something to do with, you know, how he is trying to solve this mystery or the attitude yeah. that he yeah. finds when he's trying to cultivate that line meant everything to me. It's kind of like the, you know, you see it on mugs and t-shirts and wall hangings, that phrase, choose joy. And I kind of, this is, this is his version of that because life is tough for him and he could wake up each day with a, with a, um, a grudge to hold on to, or, um, just a really bad attitude. And we all actually know people in our lives who are like that. They just, they're not happy unless they're grumpy. Um, and I, I want them, I want people to know that's not how life has to be. You can choose joy. You can choose to look at something from a different point of view. I mean, it might, it might be a dark cloud, but somewhere in that dark cloud, I mean, it's shades, it's different shades of, of yeah. black and white and gray. Try to find that bright point and, and hold on to that. Yeah. And that's kind of related to the second one that really jumped out to me as an adult reader, especially if life always went as we expected it to, we'd never know how much capacity we have for resilience, grace, and a whole bunch of other qualities. Oh, goosebumps reading that one. I was like, <laughs> oh, I needed that one. I needed that uh, one. It's beautiful. Thank you. Yes. Um, I, I really liked that phrase. Um, every once in a while, I'll write something. I'll go, oh. Oh, that's deep. That's good. <laughs> but like, there are certain lines that I'm proud of. I'm proud of both of those. Um, yeah. I think that again, if, if life always went according to plan, if we always knew what to expect, um, number one, life wouldn't be that fun. 
surprises, uh, even if they're a bad surprise, but a surprise, no matter what it is, teaches us flexibility. It teaches us how we, how we've grown as a person. Um, and if it's a negative thing, if it's, if it's, well, let's just say you were in a car accident and, you know, you got rear ended, like this is a chance to, to show grace. It doesn't mean there aren't consequences if, if that happens, but show grace. It doesn't mean you have to just completely lose your stuff. You can, you can be kind. You can choose to approach people because I can promise you, if you're in an accident, that person probably didn't plan that either. Like they're just as upset as you are. If you have a fight with a friend, no one wakes up that day going, I'm going to destroy a relationship in my life and I'm going to do it with gusto and joy. Like that doesn't happen. So you want to, you want to just realize there's, I'm a screw up. They're a screw up. We've all screwed up. Um, and, and Coop knows the scoop. I have a quote that where Gramps is, says, there was only one perfect person to walk this world and it's not me. Like we all screw up. Right. Um, and you want to be able to show that grace to others and forgiveness and, and just laughter. Yeah. And what a gift to see in a book as a middle grade reader. You know, it's a gift to me as an adult, but to be able to start to understand those concepts as a middle yeah. grader, that can change the trajectory of everything. If you give that gift to yourself, middle school is hard enough. I mean, don't, don't hold on to those things and ruin relationships, show that grace to people for sure. There's one other part of the book. Well, it's not a part, it's an element that you had throughout the book that I absolutely loved that made me smile that I, I attempted to try to do myself in in my own life and that is about the character thad and <laughs> he gets a little nervous about things and you know instead of coming out with some swear words that might be inappropriate <laughs> he lists off the names yeah. of famous architects yes is one of the most enjoyable elements of the book that <laughs> made me stop and laugh out loud because i could imagine this this boy in the seat of a car scared on the drive and just slinging out architects names oh my gosh i okay that scene to me was the funniest one to write i was i was like writing it and then i'd like laugh and then i'd like oh this will be fun and i'd write something i love yeah. writing that whole scene where they are driving to kookie clinch's house in king kong but yes so and it's so funny you mentioned that because i actually had someone post a review and i I think it was, it was, I don't know, it was either on Goodreads or Amazon. I don't remember. And that was one of her hangups was like having the fact that I didn't actually have cussing and swearing in the book that I had a, one of my characters use architects names. And I was like, well, did you prefer that I guess in the book? I mean, I'm trying to keep it clean here. Um, but that was a lot of fun. So one of the things that, you know, how I told you, I, um, I explored a lot of different majors and I tried a lot of different things before I became a math teacher. Well, one of those majors that I tried was architecture. And my dad is an architect and my brother was studying architecture at the time. And I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And I figured, well, they like it. Maybe I'll like it. And I have always enjoyed homes, particularly historic homes. And so I did learn about a lot of different architects. Now, obviously, I did not get my degree in architecture. I am an architecture student dropout for sure. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun to learn about these different architects. And so when I was creating Thad, 
and a lot of authors do this. They will pull from their own life experiences um, and friendships and relationships to create their characters. And so that's what I did with Thad. He's named after uh, a boy that I went to school with when I was in elementary and middle school up in Ohio. I've never met another Thad since. I thought it was just an unusual name and it's always stuck in my head. And then, you know, you want your characters to have little personality quirks. And Thad's was architecture. And when my editor was going through, they were kind of fact checking some things. And I got this email one day said, okay, we've, we've researched all the architects and everything spelled correctly. And yep, they were all architects. The only thing we can't find any information on is this Ron Morris one that you mentioned. And I wrote them back and I said, that's my dad. <laughs> and this is my this is my shout out to my dad. Um, so yeah, you're probably not going to find anything on him, but in my mind, he's a famous architect. And so he's in my book and they're like, that's oh fantastic. It's great. <laughs> I love that. I love yeah. knowing that now. Cause that was one of the most enjoyable elements of the book for me <laughs> now to know it has that nod to your dad in that's there. My dad. Yeah. So when you read Ron Morris, you'll know that that's that's Taryn's dad right there. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. See, that's why I love these conversations because now that's that part, a thread that was so special is just yes. even more, even yes. more special because of that. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah, your book is, it's such a beautiful balance. It has the mystery, it has the fun, but it has those big themes. And then it just has these lovable characters each in their own way. We talked about, Thad, but you know, I got a kick out of Clemmy and her take chargedness, you know, oh, yeah. which I may have been able to relate to as as a kid. So I just appreciated those relatable. Yes. Characters. Yeah. Oh, she's great. And Clemmy is actually gonna um she's she's showing up in the book that I'm working on now. So she's oh okay. She, she was a hard one to let go of. I really liked Clemmy. So I'm like, oh, so, so can we go there? Can you tell us about a sneak peek into a future project? Yeah, so what I'm working on now, the title at the moment is called The Grudge Keeper of Everson, and it also takes place in Tipton County, Georgia, and all of my towns, even the county, is made up. There's a Tifton County, I've discovered, but there's not a Tipton County, but um, so they're all in this made-up county, and um, Clemmy is going to show up in The Grudge Keeper of Everson. And what that story is about, my again, my main character here, his name is Tucker, and he is the son of the chief of police. And there's really only a couple police officers in this town. It's super duper small. And there is a rather cranky lady who lives there, and her name is Geraldine Gus. And she lives in an old home that's about to be condemned because it's just dilapidated and falling apart. And the town council has deemed it unsafe. And, but she's quite cranky. She doesn't like anyone in town. In fact, she has a lot of enemies in town. And there happens to be a day where Tucker is at her home. He goes to her home and she has fallen. And she, her body is now at the bottom of the stairs of this dilapidated house. The banister's broken. I mean, it looks like she's kind of had a slip and fall accident. But Tucker, who is highly observant, um, starts noticing things and realizes mm, it's not really adding up. And something's a little off. And um, he comes to the conclusion that it was actually murder. And so now he is trying to solve, you know, who killed Geraldine Gus. And, and he has the help of Clemmy, who is visiting her grandmother, who just lives in one town over from, from Gifton. And she comes every summer. And so she happens to be there. And then he has a new friend. You're going to meet a new character. And her name is Fallon. 
And Fallon loves poetry. She loves drama. And everything she says is just infused with theatrics. And she's a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to meet these characters, especially because Clemmy will be there, which was uh, a nice a nice thread that I'll be able to carry that over. Do you have an anticipated date in the air? So I have to turn it in in 2024, but they didn't actually say which month. So at this point, it will be December <laughs> of 2024. I am a super slow writer. Um, so actually, I'm I'm about halfway through. So I I was hoping to get it done like this spring, but my daughter is now getting married, so I don't know. Oh. That's like one more thing, um, which is very exciting, but. Um, I, it might get my my story might get pushed um to summer or fall before I can get that finished. Life has a way of doing that. Life has a way of doing that. That's <laughs> <right>. <laughs> well, we'll just eagerly wait for it when whenever it happens to come out. I know well, I will definitely put you on the arc list to to get an advanced copy. Oh, I would love that. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. So why don't we end with you telling us where can readers find you? website, social media, where are the places? So my website is terrensuiters.com. And that also has all of my social links there, but I'm on Twitter um, at Taryn Suiters. And I'm on Instagram at Taryn underscore Suiters. And I'm also on Facebook at Taryn Suiters. So <laughs> basically <laughs> you type in my name, you should find me. Um, yeah, I and I love hearing from readers. So when I and I've told, you know, when I go to school visits and I talk to kids, I'm like, listen, if you want to write me a letter, I will write you back. I promise. I always do. So I love hearing from readers. I love knowing what you're reading. And you know, if you read one of my books, who is your favorite character? It's so funny with um How to Almost Run Your Summer. Everyone I've asked when they've read that book, their favorite character is the goat. <laughs> so I <laughs> And, oh, and because of that, because of that, there are goats in the Grudge Keeper of Everson. I'm putting in two goats because they're just so fun. <laughs> I love it. I love there are things that you didn't want to let go of in yeah. your previous books that end up in, in the current books. And as a teacher, I love how you said, you know, you tell kids, write to me, I'll write back. I've seen, I've seen what a response, whether it's a social media response, an email or something in snail mail. I've seen what that does to kids. I've seen their face. I've seen their, you know, their shoulders go up and I've, I've seen it just catapult them into a love of reading because an author took the time to do that. So, uh, thank you for that. on behalf of teachers and, and readers everywhere. Thank you for that. It matters. It's so exciting. My pleasure. My pleasure for sure. Oh, wonderful. Well, I will put your website and your social media handles into the show notes to make it easy for everyone to just click and find you. And while I would recommend starting with the mystery of the Radcliffe Riddle, because I couldn't put it down, I know they're, they're sure to love any of the others as well. So thank you so much, Taryn, for, for coming and chatting with me today. I, I really enjoyed it. Well, thank you for the opportunity. This was so much fun. I loved, 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 loved every moment of our conversation. <laughs> oh, me too. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Kid Lit Love podcast, and I'll see you inside the next one. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Kid Lit Love podcast. 
you'll find links to all the books, resources, and ideas mentioned in the show notes at alitlife.com. And if you want more, you might like to listen to my other podcast called Get Literate. It's a podcast that explores all things books and reading, notebooks and writing, and everything in between to build a life you love. One more thing. If you love what you listen to today, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast or take a screenshot of the episode and text it to a bookish friend. This helps the podcast grow and builds our bookish community of kid lit love. Thanks for listening.